What exactly is a cultural czar? And how does one receive such a title? Well, let's ask one and find out on this episode of the Spirit of Leading podcast. I'm Garland McWaters, and this is the Spirit of Leading podcast. And we're going to meet Ken Busby, who is known as the cultural czar of Northeast Oklahoma, and get the story right straight from him. Ken, it's a real pleasure to have you as my guest on the Spirit of Leading podcast, and I'm just really eager to jump into this to bring your story to this audience and, uh, and how you became a cultural czar and it, what that exactly means. I wish I knew Garland, but it's really good to be with you today, so thank you for having me. It's a fun title, and it was actually a title that was bestowed upon me by James Watts, a writer for the Tulsa World. For about almost 13 years, I was director of the Arts and Humanities Council of Tulsa, and I had worked in the nonprofit sector. I'd been at Gilcrease Museum, and I'd been at the Tulsa Zoo, and so forth. And when I left Arts and Humanities to uh, go start doing this thing called Route 66, uh, Jim wrote a nice article on me in the Tulsa World and thanked me for all the things I'd done. And he said, you know, folks, Tulsa, Ken really is uh, our cultural czar. And so I called him. I said, I love this. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate the article. It was great. And I said, I, may I use that? <laughs> because I said, that really does capture, I think, what I've tried to accomplish, which is all good things, all things cultural, uh, performing arts, visual arts, uh, humanities, poetry, all of those things are so important to our way of life, our quality of life, and it's things that I'm passionate about and I want to bring to whatever I'm doing. So I said, may I use that? He said, absolutely. So I just have embraced it. I, I introduced myself as cultural czar of Northeast Oklahoma. It usually gets a chuckle from the audience, you know. Uh, but it's it's been great for me because it allows me to do anything that I want to do. It allows me to get into anything I want to do because I can find some angle that's culturally related that says, yes, I need to go down this path. So if I'm working with the Tulsa Symphony or if I'm working with the Oklahoma Museums Association, all of those things I can do um, through this title. Well, that's a wonderful th- uh, blessing to have a title like that, and permission. And permission. I guess and that's permission. the permission, when you give yourself permission, that's part of it, and when someone else gives you permission to give yourself more permission, even better. It's even better. Even it's be- even, better. even better. And I'm enough of a ham that I could take it and run with it and make it work. <laughs> well, so. for, for the people, for the listeners who really aren't familiar with you, you were previously, as you said, the executive director of the, the and CEO of the Arts and Humanities Council of Tulsa mm-hmm. that you did for over a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, director of Development for uh, Tulsa Zoo Friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you were the membership director and communications uh, at, at uh, Gilcrease Museum, which right. is now is going through a fantastic mm-hmm. rebuild. Mm-hmm. Uh, you serve on the executive committee of the Tulsa Symphony, Workforce, Workforce Tulsa, Oklahoma Museum Association, uh, past chairman of the Tulsa Performing Arts Trust, and, and you work with the Holland Hall Board of Trustees, many, many other things. And then there's a lot of stuff in there that's uh, <laughs> other volunteer uh, associations sure, sure. and so forth. You've, uh, you present uh, on the Speakers Bureau for the Americans for the Arts. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I read all that and I'll uh, look and see what you've done. And, and I'm thinking, hmm, czar might be an understatement. <laughs> you're, you're very kind. <laughs> I'm not sure what else we'd call me. Uh, I, I, I'm just a boy who can't say no. I don't know. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'm a person of many interests, you see. A Renaissance man. Uh, what, we'll just go on. We'll just, just keep go. going. My just mother's going, going to love this. Yeah, She's Dixie's love listening. This. <laughs> she is listening. She, she will be so, listening. So, and so pleased to hear uh, all this. Uh, uh, well, so I guess uh, I would like to sort of like back up to the early days sure. and uh, ask kind of how you got on this path of mm. uh, being in, in, interested in the arts. Did sure. you just happen onto it, or was it always kind of part of who you are? It was part of who I am. I, I was very fortunate to have parents that, that believed in the arts and so forth. And so, uh, one, they, they, um, they sacrificed and sent me to Holland Hall, which was a wonderful um, private school here in Tulsa. Um, that arts and, and music was a part of the curriculum there, and so that was always in my background. They took me to the Philbrook. They sent me to summer classes at Gilcrease. We went to the symphony. So they exposed me to all of that. And so that was always in my, in my DNA, if you will. I did my undergraduate work at the University of Tulsa. Um, I have a dual Bachelor of Arts degree in Communication and French. Um, thanks to my freshman seminar teacher, uh, Professor Anna Norberg, she introduced me to Edward Dumit, the voice of TU at KWGS, the public radio station there. I never thought I wanted to be in radio, but he and Anna decided I should. And so I got very excited about that. And just as, because this would have been in uh, 1986, I guess, and just as that happened, the OK Mozart Festival in Bartlesville uh, kicked off. And of course, that was a wonderful festival for many, many years with uh, Celeste New York Orchestra, Ransom Wilson conducting, all these great people being brought in like Leontine Price and Jean-Pierre Rampal, all these wonderful guest artists and Itzhak Perlman. And, and so I just, I loved it. I just loved being in a part of all of that. And so uh, went on and did my uh, graduate work at Indiana University at Bloomington. Uh, in, um, I have a degree in arts journalism uh, which is an but it's a degree in journalism, basically a master's in journalism, uh, with emphasis in the arts and in research and teaching. I thought I was going to go on for my PhD. Life happened, and I mm, that's not what I wanted to do anymore. Life had changed, so I uh, I started applying for jobs. And American Airlines calls, and I think I'll be going to Dallas to work in marketing. I'm like, well, this will be fun. This will be different. And they they hired me to work in Tulsa at Sabre Computer Services, and they hired me in a department that was called Vendor Relations and Contract Services. And we did the hardware and software contract negotiations for Sabre. It was there that I think I'm the first person to also use a project, a, a program called Microsoft Project, because the department needed something to measure all this. So I, I went to software, they gave me the thing, I loaded the disks in the computer, learned how to do it, made that happen, so that was great. One day, this huge, big box goes off, and it's called a fax machine. Many people don't know what those are today. Um, and it goes off, and all of a sudden, there's all this buzz in the department, and I walked by, and they, hey, Ken, did you see this? I said, well, it's in French. And like, do you speak French? I said, does anybody pay any attention to my resume? Does anyone know what I do? You know, so I became the French connection for the department and I've started <laughs> communicating with Paris. And, and, and so I'm using my skills that I've learned over the years. Uh, but what I was aware was that these people, I would take breaks and so forth, and they would be talking about how they could, if they moved to this department, they could move up half a step here. And if they went over here, and then in six months they could do this. I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to spend the next 40 years of my life doing that. I've got to do, I've got to do something else. Something, you know. And one day a friend calls me and says, hey, Ken, Gilcrease Museum is hiring a membership director. Uh, well, I knew the Gilcrease. I said, well, what's a membership director? I don't know, Ken, but you like the arts, so why don't you apply? Short story, 54 candidates later, they hired me. And so, anyway, but I had a great time with that. Loved my work there. And it was during that time that we did the uh, Thomas Moran exhibition at, at Gilcrease. And uh, Philbrook did a, a, com, a com, 
comparative exhibit of JMW Turner. Wonderful opportunity to really do that. And so I, I was just in my milieu, had gotten involved with the Oklahoma Museums Association. This is great. An opportunity came up, though, to become development director at Tulsa Zoo Friends. And I thought, well, that's a cool opportunity. I need that on my resume, writing grants, doing that. I was doing some of that work, but like I need that on the resume. So went there, had meant to stay there longer, uh, helped initiate the... Uh, the penguin project that we did uh, just before I left. And of course, Waltz on the Wild Side participated in that, and that was great fun. And then uh, I got a call, and there was an opportunity to be executive director of the Arts and Humanities Council of Tulsa. And the comment from Sharon Bartlett, who was the, uh, was the chairman of the board at the time, was, Ken, we're doing all these great programs and so forth, uh, but we're not known. People don't know that mm -hmm. we do artists in the schools in Har Weldon Institute. And I said, well, I can fix that. I need to be involved in boards. I need, I need the uh, blessing of the board to not be in the office. I'm going to be out in the community, but we can do this. And I think that really solidified then what I finally became because with that, I was involved in all of these boards and, and, and making things happen and connectivity. And the other fun thing, if you now looking back on it, I guess it was fun. Literally within three months of me taking that job, the Tulsa Philharmonic folded. And I got a call from then Mayor Bill of Fortune, and he said, Ken, we have to have a professional orchestra in Tulsa do something. Okay, sir, sure. <laughs> Three months in this job. Okay. So I, I start convening people from the opera and the ballet and civic people that I knew, and, and, and we started putting together. And so a couple years later, we were able to successfully launch the Tulsa Symphony, and we've been in the black ever since, and, and we've grown carefully and, and quietly and... and um, you know, and, and I should say quietly, but thoughtfully. We didn't grow just for the sake of growing. So I've been part of all of these sort of opportunities to make Tulsa better, to engage in arts and culture, to, uh, to uh, education is such a vital part of it. And all of this just sort of has come together. So when I left Arts and Humanities Council and now I'm doing Route 66, I continue to stay involved in my, all of my volunteer work with the Symphony, the Performing Arts Center Trust, the Oklahoma Museums Association, uh, things that matter things that right. can make a difference and things where I can see an impact. And, and that was my reason you know, for leaving Sabre Computer Services all those years ago. I wanted to know that I was making a difference, that I was really not just a cog in a wheel, but that I could, I could right or wrong, I could take the credit or the blame, but I was responsible. And I wanted to feel good about myself for doing that and making a difference in my community. Well, that's uh, certainly an inspiring story, Ken. And it's a long and one. I, well, you know, uh, <laughs> people who do a lot of stuff have long stories. Well, that's true. To that's tell. true. It's the people who aren't doing anything; they don't have much to say. <laughs> Good point. But so it's worth listening to the story because all along the way, you know, I think people can relate to uh, some of your own experience, maybe some of their own hopes and dreams, mm -hmm. or maybe even frustrations. Because I mean, like I know a lot of people, and myself included, have been in situations where you're just kind of marking time, and you look right. around and say, "Well, I don't." These are the same people that I knew 30 years ago doing the same thing that I don't want to be doing in 30 years. No, that's a good point. So, yeah, yeah. I want to move on. How do I do that? And so we have this desire to want to do meaningful things and to uh, be to matter. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, one of my influence leaders and thought leaders mm -hmm. that I listen to religiously is Seth Godin, mm, sure, and uh, sure. he says all the time, "Work that matters for people who care." Oh, and yes, uh, I, like I just love that slogan because uh -huh. I think that's sort of what this 
podcast, the Spirit Leading Podcast represents, I just call it conversations with the empowered, mm-hmm. people who are doing stuff. Right. All right. walks of life, uh, all backgrounds, all kinds of things. If I come across somebody who's doing something interesting, I call them up and say, I want to talk to you. Because mm-hmm. there's always a story. Right. And, always. Uh, and uh, so anyways, I relate, as I can relate to what you, what you described as your life path mm-hmm. experience, mm-hmm. Uh, I want to think back on some of those uh, young people who may be in that place in their uh, young life who are looking down the road mm-hmm. and they're looking around the office. <laughs> and, right. And right. Uh, where do you where do you summon the courage to move out of that comfort zone into something else, or or is it just uh, uh, is it courage at all, or is it just like oh I just I just want to do this and I don't have anything to lose, so why not? <laughs> right. Well, I, but I think for a lot of people, especially if you're younger, you really are in that position. I, I don't have anything to lose. Why not? Why not try this? Some people are afraid to do that, though. So, I mean, my best advice, I think, on that one is get involved in volunteer work uh, in organizations and begin to find out what your passions are and what you care about because every organization is looking for volunteers. Our nonprofit community wouldn't exist without volunteers. And so if it's like if you can start doing some of those things, you may find uh, uh, an area that you want to go into professionally. You may find, oh, I'm really good at event planning. I'm really good at you know, mapping things out. I'm really good at whatever, whatever that may be. And then you, you can sort of start talking to folks about, well, is there an opportunity or there's a job opening here? And I've had this volunteer work. I think I have the skills, some skills that I can translate now to a paid position. And so I always tell people, don't be afraid to try something. It's not written in stone. Uh, you can make a change. And if you've made a bad choice, you can get out of it. There are other opportunities. And, and so don't, and, and every experience is, a, is still a learning experience. You're gonna, right. You may learn the thing you don't want to do anymore. And that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Because now you know, I don't need to go down that path. That's why I love internships and fellowships and those kinds of things when, when, uh, high school students and college students get those opportunities, you may very well learn the things you don't want to do, but how nice to know that. Well, it does take a, a little bit of courage to step out there. You have to believe in yourself a little bit. I do. So you have to, uh, I think some people don't believe quite as much in themselves because they look around and they try to compare themselves against some of these, uh, what I call the fair-haired group, mm. who's always up front, in, in front, they're, right. they're favored, they're kind of uh, you know picked, I guess, or selected mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they compare themselves against that, they say, well, you know, I must not be that good or I would have been picked by now or someone would right. have kind of tapped me on the shoulder and say, well, we want you to come do this. So therefore, I'm probably not that great. Right. And then they get the chance to step out on something that there are a lot of people mm-hmm. around who don't know what they're doing. And they happen to have the one thing that everybody that's needs right. to know. And now they're genius. Uh-huh. That's, <laughs> r- that's very true. No, it's a good point. So I think you just have to be open to that and and. If you are a little hesitant, whatever, just what, what's the worst that's going to happen? You don't do well at it or something, but is it, you know, failure is not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned that we shouldn't do that. We learned some things we should do. You know, I'm not a brain surgeon. There's a reason for that. You know, um, but I think I think if you find what you're passionate about, you will you will be good at it. You will get better at it. Uh, but again, it's sort of back to the volunteering. I have volunteered to to chair events. I volunteered to uh, you know host trivia night at Holland Hall. I've done that now for for many years. But somehow there's a a, a niche that I fill and mm-hmm. and it fits. Now can someone else do it? Of course they can. I bring my shtick to it. I mean I bring my way of looking sure. at it. And that's the other thing too. Everyone may not relate to the way I approach it. So mm-hmm. I always say, I'm very upfront with people. Say you know I get off and ask to help with board development and strategic planning right. things. And so here's my approach. But I, I did one a couple of years ago for the Rogers County Historical Society. So I'm going to Claremore and we're meeting 
And uh, my first day with them, and, and uh, there was a, a, a competitive bid process, and I got the bid to do this job. Uh, because they'd been, I'd been recommended to the Oklahoma Museums Association, so I, yeah, I do this kind of thing. Okay, well, we need a new strategic plan. Okay, I get to the first meeting, and everyone's up there, and everyone's been fairly friendly, but we sit down to really get started, and they're just like grimacing at me. And, and I'm just like, man, this is a tough crowd. You know, what's going on here? So I'm making my jokes, and I'm getting a little bit of, of laughter, but not much, and I'm sort of doing my thing. I'm like, well, I'm trying to figure this group out here. Uh, finally, I, I, after about a 30 minutes of this, and, and I'm going through my stuff and so forth, I said, um, can, can we just take a break for a second? I said, what, what, what's going on? What, what is, there is something I don't know. Come to find out they had done a process two years earlier and apparently the person was dry as dust and they didn't feel like they'd gotten anything out of it and they were just miserable having gone through the process. And yet they knew they needed one, so somebody recommended, and so I, I won them over. And so now they've recommended me like for four other projects, you know, because it's like, oh my God, you made it fun. And I said, yeah, this doesn't have to be painful. I mean, we, you know, we just need to set your goals and figure out where we're going and work together and who's going to you know, champion things. And all of a sudden, and they were just like, this is great. And, and they call me and tell me how they're doing. Hey, Ken, we're following your advice. We're doing this. Great, great. Keep up the good work, you know. So it's like, uh, you know, you have to. But, but I'm not everyone's cup of tea, and I know that. So it's like, hey, if it doesn't work, great. If it does, then I'll do what I can for you. Well, that's the important thing for everyone to know as well, is that uh, we're, we're not, the, we're not the, uh, the first pick for everybody. Absolutely and, not. Uh, and there are some uh, groups that we probably don't have any business trying to relate to at all anyway. Right. I've, right. As a professional trainer over the years, I have certainly experienced that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm not a fit. And uh -huh. uh, some places where, and, you know, when I was young, I was... I was uh, uh, I guess I would say I was brazen enough to think I was a fit everywhere. And then, and then why don't they like me? Why don't they get this? Yeah, yeah, this so is I don't great. understand. I'm giving and, them gold here. Why don't they understand? Uh, but, uh, but, you know, later on you realize, well, I'm really not a fit. And, it's to my, and, and it's, if I'm wise enough to figure that out, I'll be happier. I think it's an important lesson for young people to learn is right. that there are fits and there are not fits and, and as it's a part, okay and it's, it's not okay. them and it's not them it's not them necessarily right. I mean it's like sometimes it will sometimes it won't and just move on right. and, fi and find the fit find yeah, the thing that makes exactly. you that gives you some joy uh, gives you fulfillment then you'll be fine right it's and it's a it's a real our egos won't uh, won't learn that lesson easily enough, but no. eventually we'll, we'll, we'll finally get the idea. That's true. But you are involved. Now, you've, a lot of the things that you've mentioned talk about uh, that you're working with people, working mm -hmm. with an organization, working mm -hmm. with individuals. So obviously you're, uh, you understand the, the power of collaboration. So, and, so uh, important. With the uh, Route 66 Alliance mm -hmm. project you're working on now, it is a collaborative Oh, it is. Project. Yes. And as, I've, as I was looking through some information about it, I realized, wow, what a, an opportunity to mm -hmm. work with some of the people that are the staff people of this project. Oh, Could yeah. you take just a second and tell us who you're working with? Who am I not working with? No, <laughs> uh, no it's great because, uh, well, I guess, I guess our, our, our chief uh, collaborator is the lieutenant governor. Uh, mm -hmm. Matt Pinnell, and he's awesome. We've never had a better champion of tourism and and Route 66 in our state. And it's and he's got a high energy. He's personable, and I absolutely love working with him. So uh, so that's been awesome. I work a lot with uh, Reese Martin, the head of the uh, Oklahoma Route 66 Association. So each state has its own state association. Mm -hmm. So the alliance, my group, tries to work with all eight states uh, to to. Uh, 
promote, to enhance the road. I mean, we're all together working on uh, getting Route 66 designated as a National Historic Trail through the National Park Service. This has been an ongoing effort since probably, well, for many years, concerted effort since 2017. So five years in, we're still trying. Mm. Uh, we'll eventually get there. One would think that Route 66 is a sort of a nonpartisan. It's red, it's blue, it's purple, it's everybody. Uh, and you'd think Congress could get this done. Uh, we're hoping, though, now that they've established the, the National Route 66 Commission, preparing for the centennial in 2026, that we will get, to, uh, we will get that done right. just leading up to it. Uh, the other fund partnerships, though, are, are some of the, the community partners and like things like AAA. Uh, we're now doing the AAA Route 66 Road Fest. So the Alliance was an early partner with them to, to pro produce this Road Fest last year. We're working on it again this year. So it's again, it's, it's a way to bring in nonprofits. It's a way to bring in corporate sides and, 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 and funders. Um, and it, because, because, as you said earlier, everybody has a story to tell. There's so many stories on, on the road. And... Um, and so, and people want to share those stories. So, oh, we're also going to be doing a collaboration with Public Radio Tulsa to capture stories at this year's Road Fest, sort of like the StoryCorps uh, project, where they where they go around and 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 for the archive for the Library of Congress. And I don't I don't know if we're going that far, but they're going to help us capture stories because that's the thing we got last year at the Road Fest. People came in wanting to tell their story, mm -hmm. and if they could get a hold of any of us, they would just start talking about they remembered right. trips down the road with their parents and, right. they, and they would stop here. I said, well, that's, that's great because people want to tell those and we need those stories for archive purposes and, and just because you just never know what little gems you're going to find. Uh, you know, who, who knew that Sir Paul McCartney would love Route 66 so much <laughs> that he would talk about it and that he would have photos taken on it and he would mention it when he's in Tulsa playing at the BOK Center. We want to we just celebrate all of that interest that's there. Uh, so uh, there's, there's like, everyone's finding ways to collaborate. Uh, also doing a lot of work with uh, uh, um, electric vehicle charging stations. Uh, so we're partnering now with Francis Energy. We have this idea of a nationwide uh, network on Route 66 to, to you know, really, uh, and, and so we're having talks now with uh, Secretary Pete Buttigieg's office. In fact, I've got a call later this week because they, I sent them a proposal. I said, have you thought about this as you're looking at infrastructure? Who knows where it's going to go, but it's it's just cool to have the conversation. And so, you know, you put it out there. When he came to visit uh, to announce that right. infrastructure project, I was given an opportunity, again, because of partnering with Francis Energy, to go to the press conference and to attend the meet and greet. Took him a Route 66 pin. He really much appreciated it. Got a great photo with him. Followed up with his staff that day. Yes, Ken, be sure and follow up with us again next week. Give us a week to get back in the office. I did. And so that's continued. But again, it's all of these connections, all these partnerships, and we'll see where it all goes. But it's like if you don't try, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And you cannot sit and wait for someone to come to you, even as a cultural czar. And people do call me from time to time. Uh, you still have to go and make it happen. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Right. And you get very, you get really bummed when it doesn't. Right. Why can't people see this? This is so cool. Right, exactly. That, yeah, exactly. I know. You've seen it too. And it's like, but when they do and the light does come on, then okay, okay, and now here we go. So uh, we're making we're making incremental progress, and so I'm, I'm just taking that in, saying, okay, it's not as fast as I want it to be, but it's progress. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's what keeps me going each day is like, okay, today I'm going to do this, and tomorrow I'm going to do that, and oh, and here's a positive note, and okay, that's a good one. So it gives me a little oomph. So if I get the bad day when somebody says, no, we're just not interested, okay, 
and then the next day there's the good note and somebody is right. and so we just go down that path so we don't let that one go go on this one just as long as we're moving forward and making good things happen right. for our community well that's uh, like anything uh, this has sort of a natural flow to it uh, just because you bump into an obstacle today doesn't mean that same obstacle will be there next week or right. even tomorrow that's or right. even this afternoon, actually. But uh, <laughs> the because uh, they say, oh, well, I was distracted. I wasn't paying attention. And, oh, well, I didn't realize that. I realize uh -huh. that's what was going on. So uh, you just uh, keep telling your story and it, it will resonate when, it will, when it's time for mm -hmm. it to. As I listen to uh, your experience here with those kinds of things, uh, it makes me... Um, it's, it's sort of like I want to stop and say, okay, young people listening to this podcast, now listen to Ken here. <laughs> He's right. uh, telling you things that you're about to face if you're not already. Mm -hmm. Because uh, a lot of times, you know, we're looking for something to be meaningful. We want to do something that matters. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so we get a big idea mm -hmm. and we take off on it, but it doesn't work. And then we say, oh, well, heck, you know, I, I shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. Sure. Not realizing that you've just learned something in the even in the it, it didn't come to fruition the way you hoped you learned something in the process mm -hmm. and now you're ready to apply that and use it over it in, in the next thing or the next uh, right. situation so there's always much much to learn i want to go back to route 66 because i to me there's something in that project uh being an older person uh, as i am mm -hmm. and remembering and i have traveled route 66 with my parents sure, uh, sure. many many years sure. to me there's something almost uh, mystical mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. Route 66. It has a real place in our, 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 our national culture and psyche. Absolutely. I mean, it had a television show named after it. That's right. Uh, and, uh, it, uh, so, and that television show brought sort of an ethos you know, a, yep. a, roman a romanticism mm -hmm. kind of with the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And the project itself is sort of like a backbone. What other road in the history of our country has had such a profound role then Route 66 from Chicago to L.A., right. you know, the, in the cities that grew up along mm -hmm. the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't think of another road, and maybe it's because I haven't traveled the whole country, that is that has sort of like the, the, that sort of feeling to it that Route 66 does. I mean, Interstate 40, uh, right, uh, blah. Yeah. Uh, so Probably not in the interstates. No, no, yeah, not at the interstates. You no have to be interstates. on the smaller roads. No, no, no uh -huh. interstates. But, you know, you have the Jefferson Highway that runs right. north and south. I mean, it has a, a, a pretty good and storied history, too. It just hasn't been told as much. Told right. but, but, you know, it crosses and intersects with uh, Route 66 in Oklahoma up in the northeast part of the state. So I've actually been working with the Jefferson Highway folks. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about how, do we, how can we celebrate both because you've got an interesting story, too. It's just not as fabled as Route right. 66. I mean, that was the one that captured people's imaginations. And when Bobby Troop wrote Get Your Kicks on Route 66 and Nat King Cole covered it, you know, all of that just just fed. And, right. it, and it just went. Thank goodness Cyrus Avery, the father of Route 66, managed to get 66 uh, as the number for the road because, mm -hmm. you know, had it been 62, which they looked at, Bobby Troop would probably never have had a hit. It just doesn't go as well. 62, so I think, is that for you? I don't know. So. <laughs> and it might have worked. <laughs> it might have worked. It might have worked, but get your kicks on Route 66 just clicked. Just clicked, right. And, you know, and, and I also I was thinking, too, You've got Michael Wallace, who was the founder of the Route 66 Alliance uh, back in 2009, which is what I'm the executive director for. 
and he's the one that wrote the really the seminal book on uh, Route 66, The Mother Road. Mm-hmm. And he was also the voice of the sheriff in Disney Pixar's Cars. Mm-hmm. And really between his book in, in 1990 and then and Cars in 2006, that really did spur the renaissance of Route 66, having been uh, you know, taken off the, the national uh, highway system in, in the mid 80s uh, and, and the small towns that that really did die and really were hurt when the interstate system literally bypassed them, which mm-hmm. is what it does. Uh, and so telling those stories again and then him founding the Alliance to try to bring those stories back and bring that resurgence, now you've got people around the world that are coming to America, coming to, to travel, and, 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 they're, and they're going to Chicago and, dry, and renting motorcycles and, and driving this way or, or, or you know whatever they're doing. And it's like, it, it's, it, people know Route 66 that don't know anything else mm-hmm. about America. Right. And, and, and you can go to little islands around the world and countries, and there'll be a Route 66 boutique or several Route 66 sides. And people will send me stuff from, from uh, well, gosh, I've, I've had them from Sweden. I've had them, you know, from Bora Bora. And say, Ken, Ken, we just saw this sign. I'm like, well, how cool, <laughs> you know? And it's like, so it's, it, you said it is in the culture. It is just part of the mystique of, of America and people are excited about that and they want to come be a part of it. So what a great tourism and marketing and branding right. opportunity right. for Oklahoma, for our nation to celebrate this because uh, there's just nothing better. You just say the word Route 66 and people know something. Something, right. Yeah, there was something they, about they that. something yeah. about it. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think there are other benefits to that as well, as I mentioned earlier, that, that the sort of the ethos of it and being a part of, uh, a part of knowing something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as as you know, as younger populations come along, and, and and I guess now I'm getting old enough to, to sort of really appreciate this. I mm-hmm. remember when I was in my 20s and 30s, mm-hmm. my dad would say to me about his past and so forth, and I mm-hmm. said, "Well, okay, right," and uh, right, and right. So it didn't register with me. Right, right, and right. So it's just like today, I'm in, in a in a in a life place where I work with a lot of young people who don't know any of that history they have no firsthand right. Right. experience in any of mm-hmm. that they only know what they've seen sure and so how do you really grasp uh what that has meant to your state or to your country along the way that made you who you are right. so that uh, so that you can uh, have some of an appreciation for what i might call the foundational culture and so forth of, you know what the state's about and mm-hmm. and uh and i think something something is lost if that story is not told and people can't have an opportunity to connect with it in some way and Absolutely. there's just enough of route 66 six left that you can connect with it the fact that we've you can still travel 85 percent of the original road in some capacities you're going across the country is really pretty cool mm-hmm. that you can get off the bypass or off the interstate and 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 have that experience you're talking about trying to help the relevance of it. That's why we have to keep educating people about it. And, and, and you talk about the foundations and so forth, reminding people right. uh, of, of its importance and history and what it meant. And it was the travel of goods and services. I mean, our own uh, Bama Pie here in Tulsa, mm-hmm. which is at 11th and Delaware, right on Route 66, 11th Street. Uh, but her, you know, father and grandfather, I mean, they, they, they were selling her pies her grandmother's pies, and and they started using Route 66 to carry the pies and trucks up and down towards St. Louis and 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 to the west, and and they were using that road, and so it's embedded in their culture at Bama Pie, and so they make sure that that story is told, so the employees when they come in know this is why we're here, this is why we're located here, we started here, we're staying here because it is it made us who we are today, and I think that's that's the connectivity that that 
that maybe young people need to just be reminded of. You know, we all come from somewhere. We stand on the shoulders of the, those that came before us. Somebody else paved this way to allow you to be where you are today. And, and now you have to pay it forward for that next generation. Well, at, at learning the stories is important, and I think that's why uh, going back to your experience in the arts is so, is so necessary. Uh, because, uh, you know, in our culture today, we celebrate technology, mm-hmm. obviously. Sure. And uh, I have a, a, a career, uh, or at least a partial career in the career tech system. Right. I help build some of the schools. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, so cool. uh, so and have a And have a tremendous appreciation for the technology education mm-hmm. and the role of technology. Everything that I've got in front of me right here is te- te- technical. Sure. And, but at the same time, uh, the arts have such an, I think, such an important place but it's hard. It's kind of like it's hard to elbow your way in sometime. Sure. You, and I know you out. You go out and you talk about things like this. Sure. And so sure. What's your message to uh, to the community about the rightful and necessary place of arts and arts education and arts experiences mm-hmm. as a companion to the STEM process? You know, the science, tech, uh, technical, and, edu- and you know, math and so forth, right. and engineering. No, it's what's absolutely, and that's why I always talk about STEAM science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, mm-hmm. that, you, that you get the arts in there. I mean, I, I love to reference uh, Boeing corporations. Everyone thinks, well, here's this big manufacturer of air, airplanes and technology and so forth. Like eight out of their top 11 designers at Boeing and engineers at Boeing have a fine arts background. Mm. In either the, they have a, a, a bachelor of fine arts or something in music or, or, something, or a master of fine arts or a master of something. And, and, it's, it's that creative element that they want to bring to engineering. And so they see this huge value. And so they support all kinds of STEAM education around, around the country. Uh, they work with uh, uh, Oklahoma A-plus Schools Institute that I'm also on the board of uh, in, in, in Edmond. Uh, again, it's for arts integration in classrooms and that kind of thing because they said they see the value of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think you know, arts education... Uh, it's not, and, and you're not doing this to make to make the next painter, the ne- to make the next violinist, to make the next. It is what it adds to your life mm-hmm. and your and your world view by having been exposed to that. So taking kids to a performance at the Performing Arts Center where they see the ballet or they see the opera, they see the symphony, or they and they get to hear this to to read poetry and literature and and all of those things just absolutely round out that person. So you have a much more interesting life, right. and 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 you know you we make the little joke about what what if you what if there were no music? What if there, if you turned the radio on and there were no no songs? Well, no, no, they're just there. Yes, they are because somebody wrote them and recorded them right. and created them. And it's like and that creativity was creates jobs and there's sound mixers and all of the things that 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 go into it. Everyone, mm-hmm. when you go see a play at, at the, uh, at the PAC and you see it, it's like, nobody's thinking about who did the lighting and the costumes, right. all these other ancillary people, all not ancillary, but all the other people that it takes to let those actors right. have that moment in right. the spotlight. And it's like, so it's like, we are so connected and it's a huge industry. Right. I mean, the arts sector adds billions of dollars to our economic vitality every year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, and, and it's always, we always, 
sadly say it's always the first to be cut. That's where schools cut because it's the easiest thing to cut because we got to have more math and science and so forth. Yeah, but you, if you don't have that, you're going to keep kids in school. We have all the data. We have, we'll keep kids in school longer, less aberrant behaviors. They actually go on to college if they've had that regular dose of the arts mm -hmm. in addition to math and English and history and all the other things they were supposed to have in science. So it's like we know it works, and yet we still struggle to keep it going. And I, I don't I don't understand that. I, I don't know why we still fight that. But arts are economic development. They're education. They're all of those things, and we have to support them because yeah. it will make a difference. Just think about this. We've been talking about arts, and everything that you say about arts is also true of athletics. Oh, sure, I, sure. I have a one gr a granddaughter who is very much into arts uh -huh. and dancing and so forth. Uh -huh. She's a beautiful woman uh -huh. and uh, will graduate from uh, high school this year and start college. Awesome. And, uh, and her brother, who is big, big-time soccer mm, and uh, very competitive and uh -huh. travels the country playing mm -hmm. the game, and mm -hmm. her their little sister... Page, who is into gymnastics uh -huh. or the athletic size, uh -huh. and she's doing very well in that. But and I've heard young people talk about their experience in athletics as well. Uh -huh. And they don't none of them intend to be professional. They're not going to coach it. They're not uh -huh. going to play and be right. a professional athlete. Right. Uh, they will continue to enjoy it in, in, in a, an amateur kind of way throughout uh -huh. the rest of their life. But uh -huh. they all talk about how much they learned and how much uh, it, it affected them as a human being and a person and yeah. their character and their diligence and all those kinds of things that they learned from that experience. Well, everything you said about art is exactly the same way. Absolutely. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Whether you're we need it all. a musician or, you yeah. know, in drama or mm -hmm. whatever it might be, mm -hmm. all of those are part of the rounding out of the person That's right. that uh, make us a great engineer. And make or us great lawyer or account, even an accountant, whatever. So and make us wanting to sit down and have a cup of coffee or a drink and have that conversation. <laughs> you have those experiences, yes. and that makes a much more interesting person that you can talk about all these things. Right. I do want to ask one other uh, question about about perspective, mm -hmm. uh, since I kind of have you here. Sure. Because uh, I, you know, as a as a, a, a trainer, consultant, mm -hmm. and writer, and mm -hmm. so forth, uh, I get to work a lot in organizations. And, and I know in the in sort of the professional setting, people sort of work within their discipline. Mm. You know, real mm -hmm. estate agents run with real estate agents, sure. and lawyers run with lawyers, and medical people run with medical people, and mm -hmm. on and on and on. So a lot of their professional development and their work and their collaboration very often is within a certain uh, uh, a discipline or mm -hmm. a, a, an occupational area or something like that. In your responsibility, uh, you work with people of all walks of life. Mm -hmm. It's a very mm -hmm. different, it's a cross section. You, I mean, Absolutely. you get the banker and the lawyer and mm -hmm. the mechanic and everybody yeah. else sort of all rolled up in one working uh -huh. together uh -huh. in, in, in that kind of a experience. Like we talk about uh, strategic planning and the other kinds of things Absolutely. you've done. Yeah. They're not all engineers and they're not all right. of one work. What have you seen as the benefit of having that cross uh, sectional uh, collaboration and that cross pollination of ideas in that kind of a setting? That's a great question uh, because I and and to answer it, I think I think the the best thing that's come out of it is a a respect and an appreciation for people that have skills and interests and so forth other than yours that these people just wouldn't have known if they hadn't sort of interacted with each other. So it's like when you bring all of that together, it's like, oh, that person has these disciplines and can bring that to this project. This person has this skill set; they can bring this to the project. And, and all of a sudden, people are like, whoa, I had no idea, or I didn't know you even thought about things like that, or I didn't know that was even a possibility. And I, I've witnessed it be just a much more, I just 
you know, a, a much more a valuing of people uh, for what they bring to that equation. It's like, I just didn't know that other people had other thoughts that different from mine that would also help in this situation. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, I think, yeah, to your point, I think it's much more of a, just an appreciation that gosh, people really are multifaceted. And if you give them half a chance, they may bring a perspective or an angle to your situation, your solution, whatever you need to do here that you had never thought of. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you, and if you hadn't brought in those other perspectives, even those like, even uh, like if you've surrounded yourself with positive people, which I try to do, but occasionally yet the negative would get said, but it still gives you a moment to, okay, it gives me something else to think about right. or, or maybe not negative, pragmatic, a little more, okay, get me out of the clouds for a minute. Let me look at this lo logistically and, and right. logically and okay. Okay. But then it's like, at the end, you have a better product because right. you brought those voices. When you're only hearing from the same people and the same kinds of people, you you, you don't have that richness right. and you don't have that breadth, and you're not, you don't have a, a great final product. Right. Well, so I've and I've experienced that myself uh, in, in in projects and so forth, where someone comes really way off the wall, <laughs> and you go, hmm. I don't think I've ever thought of it that way before. Right. That's just very different. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to stop and you know ruminate that right. a and, little bit and, and see if there's something there. What's there? Yeah. You know, because sometimes yeah. that's the breakthrough. You know, yeah. Or something oh, yeah. that leads to something that's the breakthrough. One last question: What do you think is something that uh, that you a lesson you learned somewhere along the way, maybe even early, that you think really made a big difference to you in, in the way you approach your uh, choices or your life or decisions that you've made later on or it turns you in some way? Uh, my mother was always good to um, let me do whatever I wanted to do and, and my parents would support me, you know, in whatever I, I was trying to do. Uh, she did make me take, she said, she asked me two things. She asked me to take public speaking classes, which I did. And she told me that I should learn to type. I guess we call it keyboarding now. Cause she said, you might not always have an assistant to help you. You may have to type your own letters. Boy, was she right about that. <laughs> so, uh, but early on, and it really happened when I was at, after I got my position at, uh, at, at Sabre computer services with American airlines, when I was looking at this other position, I decided that I was going to just let them see me for who I was. So of course I was in coat and tie, but I had sort of a bright blazer and a fun tie. And I wanted them to know who I was going to be. And that if I got this job, I was going to be the same person when I started to work that next Monday or whenever it was that they were getting that I, there was no bait and switch. And I have carried that with me on every job and everything I've, I've approached. And so on. this is who I am. You know, the WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get. By being true to myself in that and not trying to be something I'm not, I'm comfortable with whatever situation I'm going into. And if it's not a good fit and they don't like it, fine. Mm -hmm. I didn't waste my time or theirs. Uh, so that has been, I think, the best thing I've done. So I'm like, this is it, guys. You can like it, you can not like it, but this is who I am and this is how I approach the world. And, um, and I'm not going to modify that. I mean, yes, I, I can be thoughtful to people. I don't mean that. Right. I'm not yeah. being, you know, that way. But it's like, but this is who I am. And so I'm not going to change for you just to get this job or, or make this work. Right. And and I think if, if young people, if you approach it that way, being respectful, but let people see who you are uh, and being open to that, then I think you'll be much happier in the long run. Right. Well, that's a being, we, I think they call it being authentic now. Yes. It's yes. Kind okay. of the way they put yes. that. But uh -huh. that's exactly true. And I, I know I've, like a like I guess everyone when you're young you sort of fall victim to wanting to fit in and and uh, trying to make yourself be accepted 
right by people right. that you probably wouldn't even like being around right and so <laughs> it's uh it's it's more i think it's more honest and it's more healthful healthy mm -hmm. uh, emotionally healthy to just be yourself and then always reflecting on okay well am i happy with who i am mm -hmm. and or could i be better in some way and right. i can work on those so very good advice i appreciate that sure sure well, listen, I wish we just could just go on, but uh, well, we could, we but could, somehow that we would could, be wrong. but it would but be, that would be a very wrong. long show. <laughs> and uh, we probably need to kind of wrap this, at least this sure. one, maybe we'll come back and do it again. That'd be fun. But uh, listen, Ken, thanks so much for uh, sharing your perspectives and experience uh, with us. And we can certainly appreciate why uh, you were tapped as the czar, the cultural czar of Northeast Oklahoma. <laughs> and uh, you, it's an honor well-deserved, a title well-deserved. Wear it with pride. Okay. Thank you, Carl. I appreciate that. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks so much. That's uh, Ken Busby, the executive director and CEO of the Route 66 Alliance, also a.k.a. cultural czar of Northeast Oklahoma. Well, that's it for this installment of the Spirit of Leading podcast, and I want to thank you for listening. I encourage you to recognize and appreciate anyone who demonstrates the spirit of leading at work or in your community. And when you join the Empowered, you'll get a notification of my latest podcasts or the latest posts in my weekly Empowering Thoughts series. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. Until next time, I urge you to live empowered each and every day and unleash your creative energy. Enliven the heart, enlighten the mind, encourage the spirit, and enlarge your expectations of living in both yourself and in others. I'm Garland McWaters. Mm -hmm.